Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall. Although I might not sound like myself, I am 100% back and ready to talk to my friends Rowett and Todd about Baku, about a lot of just uh, interesting stuff that happened this week in uh, Formula One, even even off the track. You get a lot of conversation around contracts going on. So what's good, guys? How are you guys doing? I'm just taken back by the fact that we have the white Barry White on our podcast and not Nick Engel. So. <laughs> WBW, what a do. <laughs> <laughs> uh good to be here great to have you back um yeah i don't like four o'clock races or 4 a.m races for us west coasters that was a little crazy so if my memory of the race is a little hazy it's because i was snorting caffeine at that point <laughs> yeah it's it's a pretty early start even for for me someone who uh who wakes up about four thirty or five o'clock every morning it's it's pushing my limits to, to make that race. No, I was just going to say, I was at a Walgreens and because Nick was not sounding so well, I was just like, man, I hope my guy's okay. And then my highlight of that trip was the kid behind me goes, mom, did you know cocaine's in Coca-Cola? And she goes, Jeffrey, not right now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so weird side, side tangent because it. you just told that story. My grandmother had an original Coca-Cola glass from, like, the early 1900s. Uh-huh. Like, when you would go to, like, a soda fountain and they would actually just mix it for you. And it had lines for every uh, ingredient. And there was a very, really small line at the very bottom of the uh, of the glass that didn't have, like, a label. Because it was, like, soda water. Yeah, right, right syrup whatever and there was one little line right at the bottom and um i i always wonder what that was for and then i found out when i was older was it a white line and they, i mean all the lines all the lines were white but solid that's crazy uh, yeah i mean booger sugar that's my favorite euphemism for la cocaina but anyway that's another podcast <laughs> for another day it's just so nice having all three of us here talking about the thing that we all love which was the race and one speaking of things we love we love reviews we haven't gotten one since aaron najima so please this is my bi-weekly pledge or rather rant to get reviews from people and i will say this i'm going to be bordering on npr levels of annoying if we don't get reviews soon so if you're in the discord and i somehow have your number you're getting a text from me saying what have you done for me lately because i need you to write this review yeah, maybe maybe we need to do like a, a a review pledge type of drive, you know, like a one of those like old school like phones live stream. No, this is what we're in. this is what we're gonna do for a future episode. <laughs> we're gonna call somebody randomly on the Discord. We're gonna put them on air, and we're gonna make them commit to giving us a review because there's nothing better than peer pressure in the live air sense. So this is gonna be like, hey, this is Rowan from the Exhaust Notes slash Sneaker History Podcast. Air Patreon, you give five dollars a month. Can't write me three three sentences. How about for every dollar you donate a month, you give me a sentence? It's not that hard. But I digress. Todd, take us back to normalcy, please. No, to continue on that point, I vote we start with Greg. Yes. Okay. That just sounds like an entertaining start. Yeah. Because like he's like a new F one fan, and he's so knee deep, and he was like, he's one of the few people that always gets up and watches 
at ungodly hours. Uh, so I think, and he has not left us a review yet. So I vote we start with. Greg. All right, Greg, your days are numbered. <laughs> yeah, we we actually gotta we're gonna have to have Greg on for for a little uh, new to Formula One conversation because he has been really really committed this year. It's impressive how how committed he's been to watching the races, and I'd love to hear what he thinks about everything as a, as kind of a new fan. Everybody needs a Greg. I would love life. that. Yes, sorry, Todd, but I was just going to say this. Everybody, no, I... Yeah, go ahead. He's, he's the ultimate hype man. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, he really he's is. great. Yep. He makes Bobby me Greg. more excited about <laughs> F1. Anyway. One thing I will Greg say... Love. Yeah, I was going to say, last note about Greg, because this is Greg Appreciation Hour, so to speak. My wife truly said she felt better whenever he was in the room during the Discord trip. So thank you, Greg, for instilling a level of confidence that even myself cannot provide my wife at this advanced stage. <laughs> <laughs> he is all that is man. Yes. I mean, stash, flowing locks and all. Yeah. All right. Do you guys want to go over the results of this Azerbaijan Grand Prix? Because I'm glad I can pronounce that because I certainly won't be able to pronounce the secondary driver from Alfa Romeo correctly. I almost said that earlier, but I can't say Az- Azerbaijan. Like, I screw that up the, in the same level that you screw up Guozhan. Oh, my God. Now I'm turning into you. Yeah. Zhou Guan Yu. Zhou Guan Yu. Zhou Guan Yu. Look, as long as Nick is not talking because we need that voice to rest, that's fine by me. So if we're going to have okay. a lot of errors today, so be it. We're off the, ra- we're off the rails. Always. Anyway, Results. Sure. Uh, up first, we have Max Verstappen with the first place, followed by his teammate Sergio Perez. Number three, the new Mr. Consistency, George Russell, followed by his running mate, Lewis Hamilton, in fourth. Five is a resurging Pierre Gasly amidst contract talks that Nick had alluded to earlier. Six is also a resurging Sebastian Vettel. Seven, Fernando Alonso doing what Fernando Alonso does best, which is just hold people up. And then we have the twins, Daniel Ricciardo, Lando Norris from McLaren at eight and nine. And then Todd's favorite driver, Ratatouille himself, Esteban Ocon, finishing out the points in 10th place. Then we have Valtteri Bottas in probably one of his lower finishes of the season in 11th, followed by Alex Albon in 12th, Yuki Tsunoda in 13th, Mick Schumacher in 14th with no crash, knock on wood, and everybody's second favorite Canadian, Nicholas Latifi in 15th. And then we have the DNF train of Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, Zhou Guan Yu, Kevin Magnussen, and Lance Stroll. Guys, that was your order. Some surprising names in certain places there. I actually don't even remember Lance Stroll DNFing. When did that happen? <laughs> was it the big crash? Or is that the qualifying? I, it, it just turns into... No. Wood. Yeah, ahead. it's Stroll in in uh, qualifying, like, spun out and then... Or no, hit the wall, like, softly, and then a few corners later hit the wall hard. But, like, both the, the Aston Martins actually were pretty competitive looking as you can see by Seb's result uh there and I think they were like on par to have a good race and generally I think Lance Stroll does decently at at Baku so that was surprising and I just am for some reason drawn a blank on his his DNF I don't remember that one yeah and and Seb could have could have easily moved up a at least a spot without that little spin out thing that he had that I mean he eventually made up for it but I feel like if he if he doesn't have that he's got a little more confidence going to that corner I forget what corner that is where like two or three guys like 
Well, isn't that the same corner that Daniel Ricardo once famously backed into, I want to say Daniel Kvyat, a couple of years ago? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. That was turn four, and that was – I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, that's also the location of Lando's, like, 15-point turn uh, in practice <laughs> yeah, this weekend, yep. which was pretty funny. It was like, like a Austin lot of – Austin Powers just trying to back Austin up. Powers memes. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of that. But, um, man, that Seb spin – can we talk about how dangerous and slash sweet that was? It was amazing. Yeah. Like, to have that kind of car control? What? Hold my kombucha. The, the, I'm still a top five driver when I want it. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, he always goes well in Baku, but he, he made that mistake, did the most amazing spin, like, millimeters from the wall. Like, his wing got real close to that barrier in the runoff. And then entered the track in like pretty dangerous way when Yuki was coming. And that's coming the other in. thing, like to the, have the situal, uh, situational awareness to do that when Yuki Sonoda, the proverbial bull in the antique shop, is coming down. Like it's one thing. Now, actually, who would be the safest driver to pull that move and like be like, oh, so and so is coming down the thing? I'm fine. I can do this. Yeah, Crofty <laughs> talked about it quickly. Uh, about how it's kind of a dangerous re-entry or just about safe. But I'm surprised with the way the stewards have been this season that there wasn't, at least, it wasn't even noted and taken a look at. Because, like, from the onboard of Seb's car, it looked pretty damn close. I was surprised. I think uh, they borrowed a play from the NBA playbook this year around that Andrew Wiggins dunk where they initially called it a foul. And they're like, you know what? This is pretty sweet. Let's just leave this as is and let people enjoy it because we do want to note how awesome it actually was. Yeah, it was it was awesome. But uh, it's I mean, by the way, I think we should use the term just about safe more regularly. Like that's just <laughs> a great term for Formula One. You know, it was just about safe. I, I, I did like that when Crofty said it earlier or it, during it, the race. It's like the it's like the polite. But did you it's die, the, though? Yeah, I was going to say it, it's the British bless your heart. It's just about safe. Yeah. Now, and it's funny you mention that because I was watching uh, highlights of the race to kind of help jog my memory about what happened. We really do need to have a reoccurring w- Crofty's favorite line of the week segment because he's given us so many gems this year. I mean, the one I always go back to is Sergio Perez's uh, cushion of a right foot. What was it? Doesn't matter. But he just always has one line where I'm literally looking because actually, usually it's just me by myself. I'm looking in a mirror saying, did I hear that correctly? Like, what? W- good on you, Crofty. English is truly your first language. He always makes sure to balance it out, though, with calling one driver by the wrong name or continuously calling one driver by the wrong name. I don't know. He always makes a flub, but he's he's golden and uh, we love Crafty for sure. So speaking of golden, uh, was that a golden opportunity wasted? Do we have a season anymore? Because the way Ferrari just Ferrari in a way we haven't seen in what years or is, is there anything else we want to talk about that? Because I feel bad. Like, I'm going to go full Stephen A. Smith and say, that's the season. There's no way they're coming back from this at all. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yep. Mr. Man of Hot Takes. It's calling the Ferrari. Might as well pack it in. Yep. I think the I'm going to relate this to my favorite meme that I saw this week. Describing uh, Red Bull talking to Ferrari using the Michael Scott meme from saying how the turntables because 
three races ago, we were talking about. Yeah, I think, yeah, probably three races ago, we were talking about how Ferrari's got the reliability, they have the speed, they have the whole total pack, they have the driver pairing, everything. And now, three races later, Sainz can't finish a race or continually causes himself pain. And now, uh, Charles is like distraught over, you know, two weekends in a row. Well, I guess that's what? DNF. And then the Monaco blunder and the pit stop and now DNF, right? Yes. And that's four poles, four pole positions that he's had in a row that he didn't convert to a win, which I think is actually a new record they were talking about. Somebody was talking about it. So what was the actual – I didn't see the actual like reasoning for, the, for both of them because it was both engine failure – or was it gearbox in one engine in the other? Or? No, it, Leclerc was uh, – his engine blew up. And Sainz uh, had a hydraulics failure. But and Sainz was easier or earlier as well. Yeah, Sainz was first. Yeah. But the the really shocking thing to me is that they put in new engines in both cars for this race. So that oh, was a brand new in, that. yeah, they, that was a brand new engine that popped. So yeah. now, <laughs> now everybody's like Rohit and the world is ending. They're yeah. in, in engine penalties, which we were talking about probably second race of the season uh, or second or third race of the season that with Red Bull in that way, that they're having all these, you know, they had all the AlphaTauri failures. They had the first race of the season where both Checo and Max had engine failures. And now we're on it with Ferrari. And I think everybody has super short term memories in a sense, or we like to because it's exciting and we're talking about that. But it's a long season. I know at one point Charles was 34 points ahead of Max, and now he's 34 points behind Max. But we're only, what, seven? Is this seven or eight? Seven or eight races in? We are in the eighth race. So, bro, continue your point. Tell me why the season's wrapped up. Red Bull. Season's wrapped up because Ferrari keeps shit in the bed. <laughs> Big turd, little turd, brown turd, black turd, doesn't matter. There's poo poo in the sheet. And Carlos Sainz looks about as white as a sheet if you ask him to complete the race because my man, who I used to call Cool Hand Carlos, he has not struggled like this in a while. And Charles Leclerc slowly looks like the kid from Stranger Things in terms of the life is being sucked out of him in every race so far. Uh, that being said, the only hope Ferrari has is if that quote-unquote drama that's apparently happening at Red Bull continues to appear to bubble to the surface. But even that seems to have been quelled a little bit because despite the fact that Red Bull told Sergio not to challenge Max as he moved forward, they were fine with it. Max more than held up his own once he got first place because I think his margin of victory was, what, 20 seconds at the end of it? Yeah, something huge. I think um, since you brought up the Red Bulls, it's a good time to talk about them. I initially had that same reaction, which, which was like, oh, we're here we go. Team orders again. Um, and they pitted. Uh, what was it? They pitted Checo to get him out of Max's or to make him not fight early. I think it was. Um, and then when they got swapped or it got mixed strategies there. um it seemed a little bit like, oh, yeah, don't fight, don't fight. But then 
the reason I guess they pitted Sergio early, which I read later on, is he was having like pretty terrible communication with his race engineer. And he was saying almost immediately, and we t- talk about him as Mr. What did you say earlier? Pillowfoot? Pillowfoot, um, yes. <laughs> whatever it was. Sir Percy Pillowfoot. But he has the most sensitive right foot in the world. Um, he uh, immediately burnt out his tires, and it was apparently because there was some balance issue in the car and the race engineer was telling him to mess with the diff settings and the car balance or brake balance or something like that. And, um, we saw him pit early and apparently the Mr. Most sensitive right foot in the world burnt out his tire. So that's why he had to pit early. And you could tell pretty quickly that he was not having a good race that way. And then, as you said, Ro, um, he, like once Max got out in front of him, it was just game over. He would had, uh, I don't know what it was like half a second, a lap pace over him or something like that in the second stint. And, uh, all credit to, to Max. Um, he had a super mature drive and he's proving that he's not the same, I guess, as long as he's not racing Hamilton, he's a super mature driver. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, I don't know. The the team orders thing is always I I always land on like no matter what the team I just want to see him race, right? But that's wishful thinking when it comes to the politics of of a team and and really the, you know, the outcome that they want, right? But so how does a like how does a team put a car on the grid and instantly need to have the driver make adjustments to, like you said, the diff or things like that. It seems so bizarre to me that like these teams could do that after, you know, they, they essentially have to race the car for, for two, two, three full days, you know, before the race starts how does that even I can't even understand how that can happen. So from my very limited, somewhat dimwit view of the science behind it, the weather was super strange in Baku this weekend. Um, the practice sessions like the first practice session was pretty hot. It cooled down for FP2. Um, FP3 was cooler. And then I. Uh, qualifying was was way later than the race would have been started because it's a lot shorter of an event so the track was cooler so then once they hit qualifying it's in park Ferme, right so they can't make any other changes to the car and then during the race it was even hotter during the race than it was for that hot day on fp in fp1 or the hot session whatever so was, they said that the track temp was like 10 degrees hotter than than FP1. So he uh, he like burnt through his tires or the just that small amount of temperature change changed the balance of the car enough where he wasn't comfortable anymore. So he started messing with the diff settings and et cetera, et cetera. But you could tell immediately that his traction going out of corners was was struggling uh, because everybody was catching him in, in the corners and 
yeah, that that's I mean, again, from my limited understanding, the track temps were way hotter than projected or what the car was set up for. So he immediately burnt through the tires. And again, that's uh, credit to Max, who's not normally known for having like being able to conserve or uh, or he I guess he's more of a like let just let us race type of driver. Um, and he, yeah, he adjusted. He even like told the race engineer at one point because he was telling him to do like a 45, five lap time. And he came back on the radio and said, no, I think I'm going to do a 45. Like, don't want my tires get too cold. And the race engineer immediately came over and said, uh, no, are you right? The left, you know, left front, left rear are a little cool. So just keep at what the pace you're doing and it was like pretty staggeringly uh staggeringly uh mature for 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 max or like i don't know we all have this opinion of max as being a aggressive and sometimes immature driver that gets him in trouble but it was uh really impressive for max yeah i mean that's that's crazy i I don't necessarily think of max as immature but i definitely think of him as overly aggressive at times but if anything, this year has drastically changed that opinion for me. So now he got that chip. He's just just Mister Relaxed, I guess. I don't know. It's it's it. Going back to Rohit's original point, it does feel like we're at a a turning point, or could be this could be a turning point in the season. Say we go to Montreal next week, or this week, I should say, and Red Bull runs away with another 1-2 in Max's favor, obviously. Um, and I mean, obviously, in the sense that, like, if they're, if we're going to pick a better driver, it's probably Max, right? So if if Max gets another, another win and uh, Ferrari has another, you know, bad result or god forbid a dnf it's gonna really feel like they're really running away with it at least with the constructors right like mathematically everybody's still in it um even my terrible honey badger um but anyway i see you've been talk- i see you've been talking to iron trev about it but you know we, we love everybody here equally canadians australians it doesn't matter if you're in the four wheels you're a part of our tribe so speaking of reliability issues, my laptop Wi-Fi decided to emulate Ferrari's title hopes this year and just collapse. But where were we? What were you guys chatting about while I was away? Uh, we just uh, – Nick was asking because I was talking about uh, Sergio's um, kind of bur- burning through the tires early. And then he was asking like why that happened and I explained like the car setup and the track temp changes and et cetera, et cetera. That was the thing I also wanted to ask you about. So apologies if this is kind of redundant, but my understanding was the Baku track is the worst for tires in terms of the degradation it causes. And if I remember correctly, Pirelli had sent the softest compound of tires that they have for this race. They did send the softest compound. <clears throat> so I guess me being the newbie on why would they do that if that track has that reputation is it just some sort of stress testing that they're hoping to do or is there some more method to the madness well to go back to your earlier question i don't think that baku is like the highest deg that we see all season it's like 
I don't know, medium high or whatever. Uh, but as as to why they sent the the softest three of the compounds, I'm not actually sure. Um, maybe it was projected to be a little bit uh, cooler, so they wanted something that you could fire up a little bit easier. I don't really know. We don't really see that much of a. I mean, there's pretty drastic changes in practice, or you know, yeah, practice qualifying and and race temperatures, right? So, I'm sure that no matter what they would have sent, you'd probably have some similar situations coming up for some of these drivers. Speaking of some of these drivers, did you guys touch a little bit on Todd's favorite team and how the Civil War continues to rage on, but in a more passive-aggressive front this time? No, and it's not just my favorite team. Nick is also <laughs> Team Papaya. Everyone forgets yeah, that. No, I think Nick likes Lando as much as you like Danny Rick, so this is why I don't want to draw attention to it, because <laughs> I hate it when my mom and dad, from a Formula One perspective, fight. But things are getting very interesting, is all I will say. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, I just hate to see teammates. You know, I don't, I don't want to say ruining it for each other because they're not to that level yet. But like, that's the only place you go from here, in my opinion. Right? It's the same thing with Checo and Max. If if you don't have like some some structure up there with those two guys in the front, and they're just battling each other, you end up seeing seeing bad things happen that just shouldn't happen, right? Like accidents, knocking people out, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I'm just as, I'm not maybe as big of a Danny Rick fan as Todd, but I, I would say that Danny Rick is one of my favorite drivers on the grid still. So it's, it's, it's tough to see them being catty with each other, I guess the best way to put it. I mean, for me, that was uh, kind of that tough situation was kind of made by the race strategy. I think at like at the in the beginning of the race when it was was it Ocon or Alonso? I don't know, but usually the shit house race starts with Alonso, so let's just assume. Okay, it's maybe it was Even maybe though- it was Alonso at that point. I don't remember. It was one of the Alpine cars, but it was one of the Alpine cars, and then uh, Lando, and then Danny Rick. Danny Rick was on the hards at that point, and definitely had better pace. Which, if I'm in the McLaren at that point, I would have swapped Danny Rick to see if he can get past Alonso again. Probably not going to happen, as we saw. In the speed traps this weekend, I kind of said it in the pre-show, uh, the Alpine with a toe was hitting like 340-something kph, which was the highest out of the weekend. Um, and then like followed by Red Bull at 340 or 330-something. Uh, obviously, they don't have the speed at the rest of the track, but they definitely had the speed down the straights. Uh, so if Danny Rick really had the pace then swap then and work together because if Danny Rick can get past uh, Alonso and either pull in Alonso and slow him down or uh, like, you know, pull away, then you either then you pit Lando to try to do the undercut at that point. Um, The other 
flip flop that they they did, I think, was also wrong because Lando then had the pace at the end of the race and Danny Rick was essentially kind of holding him up. I mean, I guess they were really within tenths of each other. So I don't know if either one of them would have gotten past. But if and then they just said, like, uh, we let or we didn't let Danny Rick buy earlier, so we're not going to let you buy now, which is going to piss off both drivers in both occasions, right? Like, if they're really battling for points and battling as a team, and one driver... I I know that they're race car drivers, and they always think they're the fastest, but, like, if you can clearly see that one driver on a harder compound, which turned out to be the best tire for the last weekend, has the pace, then do the team orders early before it becomes frustration and then and then in the if the same thing would have happened and then you know Lando was behind with the better pace swap them back then like try to be more aggressive instead of like oh let's you know let's see what Lando can do let's see what Lando can do because I know that he's the golden boy and definitely the better driver at this point um but they're just creating their own headache I think No, I do think that's fair, but I also think there's enough of a gap in terms of unless Alpine continues to be the dark arts masters and somehow weasel their way into more points. And I say that as probably the biggest Alpine fan on the board. I think there's healthy enough gap between the top four teams. So I think they're safe. It's just a question of how far is the Ferrari free fall? Say that a couple times fast if you like alliteration. Or are they just so comfortably nestled into that fourth place that they really are needing some sort of spark or some sort of shot in the arm to motivate themselves? Because I already see the top three teams kind of leaving them in the dust. Yeah, well, it's kind of weird. We have like formula, like, I don't know if you guys have heard this term before, but we have the Formula One teams being Ferrari and and, uh, Red Bull. And then we have the Formula 1.5 teams, which they used to talk about it, which like, you know, it was... Red Bull and Mercedes, and then the rest of the field was Formula 1.5. But now it almost feels like there's three tiers with Formula 1, Ferrari, and Red Bull. 1.5 is Merck, and then 1.75 is the rest of the field. So if they're really battling just the last, you know, two-thirds of the field, like, try to try to be more aggressive on strategy or overcut or undercut somebody. Don't make it each other like them fight each other now, the midfield in a sense kind of do have to work together just to bridge the gap and just do the thing we've always kind of lauded williams last year for doing it's like sacrifice my my race so nikki can get points let's figure out who the proverbial nikki is and give them some extra points and yeah it's going to be really interesting to see especially with some of the contract talks that were happening nick what were you kind of alluding to is it the ghastly thing or was there anybody else that you wanted to kind of chat about well the, the ghastly thing is is like the most interesting because there's literally articles about him renegotiating his contract with with red bull throughout the week and then fifth place you know by far his best drive of the season in my opinion regardless of placement he just looked like he had his shit together again which is like it's been a while since we felt with since we've seen him drive to his ability in my opinion i feel like he's been a little off for all of this season but even last season as well No, it's one of those things that when I initially read the results and I was kind of looking at it, I was like, 
Gasly in fifth, this feels strangely old again and new again at the same time. And to your point, there's no better narrative to write than the most common and the most recent one. And this is going to do wonders for his Q rating because he's always had that reputation of being probably the best driver that's not in the top three teams. And he's still consistently, I would say, over the course of the last two years, got sixth place. And that's something to be said. But yeah, he's had a bit of a malaise, but I hope this is the start of something good because he is a very exciting driver on his day. And I think he would elevate any team he goes on, including... I would say maybe with the exception of Red Bull, because I think they're so locked in right now and Perez hasn't been exhausted by the Verstappen family estate. But any other team that would pick him up, I think he would do wonders. Even saying, taking the second seat off of my beloved Carlos Sainz, I think a Gasly and a Ferrari would be very interesting. Oh, man. That is... That is... That would be wild. Like I can't even fathom that. I've thought about... No, and it's not going to happen because he just signed the contract. But it's one of those things that I'm looking at it from the perspective of if I'm an incumbent Formula One driver and I have all these seats available to me, where can I truly go to make an impact? And I think Gasly can go to nine tenths of the team and he would make some sort of positive impact to me. And ironically, the one team he couldn't go back to is the team he's already been a part of. And I would make the argument if he's treated the way Checo Perez has been treated. And granted, Gasly at that point was very much at the start of his career. And Checo is, let's say, in the apex of his career. That's a racing term I learned just now. It's obviously an apples to pineapples situation. But at the same time, like this dude has earned the right to be treated like a professional, even if he decides to somehow stick in the Red Bull program because Checo just re-upped for another year, right? He's here through 2024. Oh, he signed a two-year extension. So I think he was through the end of this year and then they signed, he was on a two-year deal and then so 20, yeah, 2024. Yeah. Yep. But I hadn't even thought about him going to Ferrari and I, I can't, I wouldn't say I would throw in the towel on Carlos yet because going back to last year, I mean, he beat, Leclerc in the points again probably a good part of that was bad luck on Charles part but he's going through that now um and he's up until the last few races has they've probably been the best driver pairing on the grid um but man that would be so wild I've always envisioned him weaseling his not weaseling that sounds negative like being is it because of the Ocon thing? <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say Alpine because like a double yeah. French lineup would be like mega for. Yeah, that's like chef's kiss, chef's kiss as you just. The, the Frenchest chef would give you yes. the biggest of kisses if that happened. But then that like this goes back to what we kind of like about Formula One, because this is similar to what we've now seen in American sports recently. And I think the best way to describe it as global soccer or global football is the silly season where anybody is eligible to go on to whatever team contracts be dim. And based on the conversations we had in last week's episode where these contracts don't seem to be worth the paper that they're printed on, if people want to leave bad enough, they can. I agree with you, Todd. Me just saying Gasly to Ferrari is just speaking it into the ether. I think they're very happy with Carlos Sainz because if for no other reason, it keeps Charles Leclerc happy at Ferrari. And to your point, now that the stakes are there for Ferrari, we know who they like, and that's Charles Leclerc because he's proven it this year. So they want to keep probably – is this a bold take? Is, Char, uh, is Carlos Sainz the second best – or is he the best second driver in Formula 1 right now? And 
after this week, I would say no, because Checo Perez has kind of run a masterclass on how to be a great team. And even when you do that through gritted teeth, but signs is up there. But man, Gasly and Leclerc would be very interesting, just like I think Gasly with anybody would in, be interesting. Yeah, I think Checo, like you just said, is by far the best second driver. He, he I mean, he did it in Spain, too. He said, like, that's very unfair, but OK. Um, he He's continued to be pure class the entire time. And in the last few races, uh, he's been driving at the apexes of his career, as you said. Um, But I I think that we have a lot. uh, What was your preseason prediction? Six drivers off the grid? Five? Five? Five. I think we're going to see a lot. Like, I'm pretty sure we know that. Well, I, I actually this came up this week and something we can talk about that apparently it's all but signed that Oscar Piastri, the current reserve yeah, reserve driver reserved. and former F2 champion, F3 champion, uh, is being on loan to Williams to replace Latifi. That's supposedly all but done. Um, and now that they don't necessarily need uh, Latifi's investment anymore, it sounds like that's all but done. I think Zhou Guan Yu... Or Guan Yu Zhou, I fucked it up. Um, <laughs> is is probably on his way out, uh, and he got super spicy on the radio uh, this weekend. Oh, what did he say? I didn't pick was that this, up. Yeah, it was this race, right? They had to retire. Well, he was a retirement. Did he say right? something? Let's check the standings uh-huh. again. Yeah, he. I've got the yeah. standings. He so was a retirement. They had to retire the car with an issue before the car blew up or whatever and he came over the radio i know i totally just changed gears but this was amazing he came over the radio and he has not performed very well this season uh especially in comparison to, to terry but he came over the radio and was like this is this is unacceptable guys we got to do better every time we have a good result we shoot ourselves in the foot and he was having a pretty good drive but i was like whoa slow your roll junior like first year in formula one You've only had probably two good races this season. Uh, and you're going to yell at the team now? Like, whoa. Uh, but So, yeah, that was super surprising. I think Joe's out. I think Latifi's out. I could see Yuki still being out. Um, Seb, that's the one I'm interested to see. Because if he retires... I don't think I- Seb's going to go unless he decides to retire. That, no, I'm saying... He- Put it this way. The only way he leaves is if he retires. And I think we're we're all clear on that because it would be very silly and it would probably be the Papa of the Year award for Larry Stroll if he did somehow say, you know what? I don't like the fact that this dude is boat racing my son every race. You're off the team. Latifi, let's make the Canadian dream team happen. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. I, would <laughs> I can't even. But yeah, I don't think uh, Vettel's going anywhere. I think just that spin turn alone that he did in turn four just proves the car control he still has. And if you give him a car that will perform, even if you have to copy another team again, you you can get results out of the guy. Uh, and then t- I think Danny Rick is, uh, I don't th- want to say almost guaranteed, but very likely possibility to either change teams or retire he just doesn't i think he's like kind of a little dead inside behind that big smile um especially after the last few weeks that's how yeah. clowns operate usually clowns and usually I, operate I, that way 
No, I was going to say this. What is the – sorry to derail you, but I kind of like when you are this introspective about your guy, Danny Rick. Uh, what is the number of podiums that you would think would ensure him being in Formula 1 for another year? Like if he – over under two and a half podiums this year. If he got two podiums, do you think he would stay in this particular grid or do you think he no, would still No, I don't think it's necessarily down to the podium oh. thing. Like, he hasn't been performing. Okay. Obviously, his juju or whatever has been off. He doesn't sit well with the car. He doesn't like how, again, I can't explain it in very scientific terms, but he doesn't like the brakes on the car. Um, it forces him to drive in a way that's unnatural to him on corner entry. Um, and I don't think that he's going to continue with McLaren either way. I'd actually put more of a bet on that than him retiring. Um, but I, for him to stay on McLaren and everybody to be all happy-go-lucky, he's got to be performing, you know, right on the heels of Lando at very least. Pretty, like, more often than not. So the next, how many races do we have left? Yep. 12? Is 16. It? Or, no, we yeah. have 22 this year, and we've done 14 eight. races. So, so 14. in the next 14 races, if he's not at least more than 50% of the time qualifying with Lando. And I'm not going to say out qualifying Lando because that's definitely Lando's type of car. And he's just performing better. Um, if he's not more than 50, you know, at least eight races right on the heels of Lando, then I think he's he's gone from McLaren. And depending on how the rest of the team shake out, I could see him retiring from Formula One. Because I don't think he's going to do a, like a let's go to Williams and build it up, right? He's in his early 30s. I'm, you know, he's just not going to do what Seb did. And uh, I mean, he could go race sports cars in Le Mans or race, you know, IndyCar. So many other options out there for him if he wanted to keep racing outside of Formula One. Or the, what's the Australian racing series called? Uh, Supercars? Oh, yeah. Supercars? Super yeah. yeah. Like the, the Bathurst, all that stuff. Yeah. I could totally see him doing that and being like continuing to be the celebrity that celebrity that he is. Oh, we, so we haven't talked about Mercedes at all and they finished third and fourth, which I find interesting. But I'm going to I'm going to punt that and say we've got to talk about one other possibility. Uh, there's no way that we're going to have another team added to the grid next season, right? We would need a, we need another year before that can happen, right? But Easy. Yep, yep. A, a, as Todd pointed out, the Alpines, the fastest straight-line car on the track this weekend it, with a Renault engine, does that put any possibilities on the table for a second Renault team? down the road i'm so glad you let you brought that up because that apparently is part of the oscar piastri deal williams taking the renault engines as a customer team oh that's interesting because i i don't know i i I think the relationship with mercedes is still okay or has been um but they were definitely displeased when they took on albon from red bull Apparently there was some tension there mm-hmm. um, because that you get some, I guess, trade secrets, right? Driving for the team. You have to understand how the power unit works, deployment, etc. 
But that was definitely talked about as part of the, the Oscar Piastri deal is Williams taking Renault engines, which if they're if the engines are frozen until 2024, uh, that's pretty amazing. Right. You now have the most powerful engine with uh, like, you know, lower mid low, lower third midfield car. Not only that, you've got a promising driver as much as a driver can be promising because we all get hyped up for rookies entering Formula One and then we realize there's such a steep grading curve and our rookies are probably not as good as we thought. I mean, we're all guilty of probably overhyping one young driver and then realizing, holy crap, these guys truly are Jedis when they're behind the wheel. Yeah, but people are comparing him to both George Russell, who we know that his caliber, and Charles Leclerc. Both of them were super hyped up rookies not that long ago. Um, mm-hmm. And it only took, you know, Leclerc one season to get through Alpha and then he was in Ferrari. So, I, I mean, if the typical F1 pundits are saying it and the, you know, follows I have that are also saying it, it he must be good, right? He won F2 or F3 and then immediately went to F2 and won it, which is not not typical. So, not at all. I mean, there's a question. Even like, could Alpine get rid of my beloved Ocon to give Oscar that spot? And it wasn't necessarily frowned upon to suggest that because, to your point, Todd, kid's got a proven track record. Sorry, bad pun. And he's got championship pedigree to say, yeah, you know what, Ocon, you're nice, but I've won three, I've won two. I could probably do a decent showing in Formula One if I get the proper car. So. I honestly thought it was a possibility before this season. Like, I think Ocon is a is a talented driver, and even your love for him has swayed me a little bit. Um, he he is talented. He's a you know solid midfield driver, uh, but I thought it was a possibility that they could uh, give him the boot before this season. You also said one thing, and I know this is a bit of a tangent, but this seems to be the theme of this overall episode. When we were talking kind of about McLaren, do you ever envision McLaren pulling a Red Bull where they just start designing a car for Lando specifically? And then down the line, they just try to hope that a second driver can drive the car at 85% its capacity. Do you ever see them devolving or evolving into that if they ever have those championship aspirations? Because as you were framing that Ricardo narrative, that was the thing that popped up in my mind because this may have happened to him again at a second team. Well, I, I mean, to the to the Ricardo point, it kind of happened to him at Renault and then they ca- got caught for the illegal brake bias thing because he wasn't happy with the brakes. And then he went to McLaren, which was weird after the second season with Renault he actually was definitely performing well and tri- one of the best midfield drivers at that point or outperforming the car whatever you want to call it but the contract with uh, with with Lando speaks to that they do want that gamble right they want they have long term love for Lando there's some alliteration um and they want somebody in there that's competent enough to be on the heels of Lando. They obviously, I don't think they're necessarily showing preferential treatment to Lando. Um, a lot of the salty Danny Rick fans will say that, but he's just been absolutely mopping the floor with Danny Rick for two seasons now, or a season and a half. So, I don't know. Nick, what are your thoughts from uh, 
McLaren perspective? I mean, I uh, maybe this is just wishful thinking, but I, I just don't see. I feel like there's so much potential for for the McLaren team still as it sits right now, right? Like, yes, you're going to have these, you know, egos popping up and, you know, whether that's, whether that's manufactured by, you know, media or whether that's a real thing. I think we only know half of the story most of the time in this sport, but I think that, you know, to your point about the strategies were obviously just bizarre this weekend um, or the choices with within the strategies were kind of bizarre I, I just don't see – like I don't see someone – Lando's not going anywhere. Danny Rick, yes, maybe could bounce to someplace else. But I just don't see McLaren looking for somebody else to replace him yet. I don't think he's – I don't think he's – like, yes, he's had a rough start. But I don't think he's to the point where – Okay, we got to find somebody else. Also, on top of that, I don't see anybody on the grid available that betters the team. You know, the, if there's one thing that the McLaren team understands better than any other team, and maybe this is just me coming from a marketing perspective, you've got the two most marketable guys in Formula One right now, with the exception of maybe, you know, Lewis because of his history. And if you want to, you know, kind of do what Netflix does and and position Max as the evil villain, like, yes, there's a great storyline there. But I I can't think of two, you know, with I mean, maybe you would put Gasly and Yuki up there just because they seem like, you know, a stepbrother's teenage edition, like just at any given moment, you know. But I just feel like the team just needs a little bit more time. And I, I don't think that. I don't think there's an urgency for, from McLaren, from Zach Brown, that that's going to push Danny out. I think if 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 anything, he would leave on his own terms, kind of the way he did in the last couple of ter- you know couple of situations where he's just like you know going to try something different. I think the last point I'll say is I don't think Zach Brown said what he said in Monaco accidentally. I think he wants to set the stage for um, potentially replacing Ricardo for not not only within the media, but to like put pressure on Ricardo. Um, unless he like really outperforms what I said earlier about being on Lando's heels, more than half of the race is left. I think it's pretty likely I, that that somehow they because. Lando or the uh, not Lando McLaren can't actually fire Danny Rick from his contract. He has to initiate it. I guess there's a clause in there that he has to break the contract, but they could do everything in their power, including up to paying him to stay home, which has happened in Formula One before. Um, but I think going back to what Nick said, I don't think that they look within the current grid for a driver because there's so much talent waiting in the wings. We have uh, Tio Porcher, however you say his name. He's awesome. Yuri Vips is awesome. Um, Darugula, 
Uh, he's a Red Bull Academy driver, but I'm sure he could be swayed away. There's a lot of like young talent, and I think because the McLaren car isn't there yet, it's like I said, you know, Formula 1.5 or 1.75. They want to get somebody in that has time to kind of grow up with the car in a sense. I'm just looking at it from a, a longevity perspective. I could totally see, given everything that's happened and Danny Rick underperforming, McLaren getting rid of him. Or maybe he goes to, uh, like you, you mentioned earlier, Rohit, Daddy Stroll finally says, all right, son, you're just not cut out for this. And he hires Danny Rick. And then we have the most lovable pairing on the grid between Seb and... Oh, so we get Green Bull with <laughs> Seb and Danny? I would like Team Green Bull. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, my second favorite driver is Seb. So... Uh, at this point, as we were kind of chatting about Seb this uh, particular episode and giving kudos to the spin, I think at this he essentially just has these mini challenges that he puts upon himself because he's conquered it all. He's, what, a four-time championship winner? Probably the more and more it seems far removed, and you guys give me the historical context, he might be the most underrated driver champion in terms of a dynasty, I would feel, because all I've ever heard about is the fact that you had Schumacher and then you had Lewis Hamilton as the bookends, and you had a couple of people sprinkling championships there. But I would think any person that wins an entire high school career's worth of championships should go down as probably a top five, if not a top ten driver. And he just doesn't seem to be spoken about in those hushed tones as much. And I'm wondering, is that because of how things ended at Red Bull? Is this more the fact that he's one to not really draw attention to himself unless he's supporting a cause like the Formula One underwater race t-shirt that seems to be in the news for the right reasons, let's say? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think maybe just because you weren't watching back then that might no, have been fair. a little bit of why you don't have that. Because he's obviously been off the radar in the last few years, right? He had kind of a very famous fall from Ferrari a few years ago where he literally was like one of the worst drivers on the grid. Um, and then just a really uncomfortable situation with the team. But like, I think people still talk about him in the same light as as Hamilton, as Schumacher, as Alonso, as, uh, you know, Senna, Prost, like one of the greats because he's. I mean, besides Hamilton, he has, uh, I think he's tied for the most second most championships, I think. So, Okay, so I mean, that that's, I guess, the other thing. You're right. I was not watching at that point, but I always get intrigued by how people were viewed in the midst of their dynasty. Was there a blowback to him? Because I can't fathom a organization or a sporting history where said Vettel is not the apple of everyone's eye because he seems to be everybody's second favorite driver right now. But was there that annoyance with him because of how dominant he and Red Bull were at that point? I mean, I, for me at least, and I'm sure Nick has an opinion, but it's funny that I, I used to not like Seb. <laughs> like when he was during it, like when he came on, on the grid and he started to win those championships, he very much so gave me Max Verstappen last two years ago vibes. He was kind of whiny. He was not like whiny. I don't think Max is whiny necessarily, uh, but he was annoying for sure. And there's like a famous race uh, when he was paired up with um, 
was it Weber? Yeah, Weber. And the, the, the multi-21. If you haven't heard, seen that, but that's one of the most uncomfortable and amazing uh, post-race green room settings ever. And apparently that was back when team orders weren't allowed. So they had special codes and multi-21 meant swap places. And Mark Weber's in the green room or the cool down room saying, multi-21, Seb, what happened? What happened? Multi-21. It's amazing. You should go watch that. Or everybody listening should go watch that. But, uh, yeah, I didn't like Seb back then. He's matured into an amazing human being uh, and my other favorite driver. But I think that I think you could probably say that about every single driver that's ever won a championship, though. I mean, Lewis was a tr- like a runaway train half the time in those early years, right? But, like, once you start to learn that you can't always be that way, kind of like what we're seeing with Max in the last year or two, you know, these guys really turn into, you know, something much bigger than than just the, like, um, the, the young gun coming in hot every time. But I think that, you know, <clears throat> it's hard to, it's hard for me personally to, to look back at that time and really think much of it because comparatively we have, you know, what, eight years or nine years of, of Lewis and Mercedes domination to kind of like compare, you know, if you're going to like, I'm a huge Lewis fan. Like, I mean, I do not like Mercedes cars personally that much at all. Um, but Lewis definitely changed my views on all of that just because I wanted to support him. But still like you want to see people, you want to see competitive racing and, as much as you know, it's great to see him get his championships, and you know, I, I think he's deserving of it. I think he absolutely should be up there with with Schumacher. But at the same time, you know, it, winning all the time and even being a fan of a winning team all the time is not a fun experience, in my opinion. You know, like you have to have the ups and downs to appreciate it, and it's hard for me to kind of think back to the Seb Red Bull era one, because it like, I didn't have a, a reason to like those teams beyond the drivers, right? Like th- those teams were Renault powered and infinity sponsored, which is just like a weird combination that only happens in formula one where you've got a, a, a car brand on a car that has nothing to do with the car itself. And to me, it's just kind of, I don't know. I I don't really think much of it other than, you know, like, hey, it was his time. And, you know, clearly Toto came in and, and, you know, kind of turned the Mercedes team around. And I mean, even now, right, like we're seeing this season, this this race, we we can go a whole episode without talking about the third and fourth place finishers in a race because it's expected. Like George Russell is fourth in the points, I think. Lewis is sixth. They're third in the constructors, only 20, 30 points behind. And we act as if like they're non-existent in Formula One because we expect them to be dominant. And they expect themselves to be dominant, which is how they win. But it's it's just a weird thing to think that, right? Like, you know, I the only thing I can relate it to is like sports and or you know, like American sports, more American sports like basketball. I watched Michael Jordan on the Wizards as an old man 
play the game because he was Michael Jordan with excitement. I watched, you know, like, and like formula one is such a short lived thing that, that we don't even see that. Right. Like we don't even think, you know, going back to the Seb conversation, looking at Lewis's, his trajectory and his career, you know, like we're ready for the young guns to come in. Right. Like Todd's here talking about Danny Rick not being in formula one as his favorite driver on the grid at like, you know, early thirties, mid thirties, whatever he is. When other drivers on the grid are have another five, six years on him, Seb, Alonzo, you know, like there's there's plenty of time for Danny Rick to like actually get into a car that's that's better for him. But it's just really interesting how like the narrative and the and the storyline of drivers shifts so much in Formula One. And I think that kind of it it, it impacts the way I look at these guys too, right? You know, to to Seb and, and Lewis you know, you're, you're kind of like, okay, cool. They did their thing. And now this guy's doing his thing and we're going to watch him closer. And, you know, I don't know. It's a really interesting thing to think about comparing, but I do think that Seb is, is up there with the greats. I think that Lewis is obviously up there with the greats. I think, you know, when there's, when it's all said and done, there's going to be, you know, eight or 10 guys that, that get named in those, you know, all time greats lists and, and they'll, they'll all be there, even though it doesn't feel like Seb is that is anywhere close to that level. I think Alonzo is probably up there too. Nick, do we want to give you five to six minutes about the Mercedes thing? Cause I mean, I'm not one to pick up subtle hints, but like you've mentioned this twice and I do think there is something to be said about their quiet professionalism. I'm glad you oh, brought I, it up I, again too. I just think that this is the perfect way for Mercedes to like show people, right? It's like, fine, don't pay attention to us. And 10 weeks, 10 races from now, there's going to be three or four to go. And we're going to be like, wait, Mercedes still has a chance at this. (laughs) Listen, Nick, what city do you represent the most in your hat selection? Oh, San Francisco by far. And who is the basketball team in San Francisco right now? <laughs> the Warriors. The Warriors just did one of the most stealthy rebuilds we've ever seen. And we were laughing at how inept we thought they were. And we kind of gave Mercedes some of that same backlash. We're like, haha, you losers. You only finished third and sixth. Are you guys even good anymore? And lo and behold, they keep winning races in spite of themselves because everybody else wants to shoot themselves in the foot first. And yeah, it's like, yeah, I'll gladly take third. I'll gladly take fourth. And I am really interested to see what they do because now, especially after I famously proclaimed Ferrari dead, I'm now wondering, would any of you like to make the wager that Mercedes will fall ahead of Ferrari when it comes to the pecking order of the li- of the teams this year in the constructor standings? So, Zero chance. Zero chance. I, I can't get on the Merkhype train. I can't do it. I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely not on the hype train, but there there are some definite possibilities, right? We talked about Ferrari potentially taking penalties for engines. I mean, look, the 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 unsuspecting teams are the best teams to win championships. Like that's that's it doesn't happen very often in Formula One, but in other sports, 
Like, look at my Giants, man. The three times they won championships, they were definitely not expected to win championships. And last year, they had, like, the best record in all of baseball. They couldn't win a title, but, like, it's like bad news bears. Like, nobody's – unless you're a diehard Giants fan, five years from now, you will not remember a single player on the team last year. Other than maybe the the big names, the Brandon Crawfords, the Brandon Belts or something, right? Barry Bonds, Tim Lincecums, yep. Right. But like big baseball fan here. But like that's what I mean. Like you 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 don't need to know all of that stuff. They just need to hang around long enough and be close enough to make something happen at the end of the season. And I know the Formula One doesn't work in the exact same way because it's obviously, you know, a buildup of points and, and you know, scoring and stuff. But I still think that there's they're a team that you can't count out yet, as a, I guess the best way I would put it. No, and I'll use this to hopefully transition to Todd doing our fantasy recaps if he thinks it's the appropriate time. I've got George on one of my teams right now, and knock on wood, Mr. Consistency. Like, he has gotten no worse than fifth, I want to say, and no better than third. And he has not DNF'd in any single race thus far. I think, is he the only one to do that now, especially after Ocon got his elbows out last race? So... He's doing well. Uh, what is it? Say what you will about Lewis. He's still in the points. Like, I think there's, I'd say 80% of the drivers on the grid would kill to have the season he's having right now, which says something about his absolute worst season in recent memory is still better than a lot of people's best seasons. So I could see them catching Ferrari. Now, the question is, will they stay ahead of Ferrari? But I could see them catching them for, let's say, a week or two. <laughs> I don't think... At any point, will Merck be ahead of Ferrari in the constructors this season? All right. I mean, that I'm willing. A- another case of a adult or child beverage bet. Yes. Time. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. Um, oh, sweet. I'll give you some beverages to go along with your burrito if I lose. Uh, <laughs> that is. I, I just can't get there. Right. The only reason they got third and fourth is because both Ferraris blew up. And that caused other windfall things to happen to, to, to give them that, right? George, I'm not going to take it away, anything away from him. He's having a stellar season, probably the best uh, performances so far, given the car that he has. But Hamilton's been all over the shop, right? He's He's gone out in Q1 in, I think, what was it? The What race was that? Second or third race? Was it Italy? Maybe. Because I'm looking at his point total, and he scored a whopping eight points. If I read our codex ring from our race correctly, that meant he got 13th place in that particular race. Yeah, so he's been all over the shop. Granted, not all of it's necessarily his fault, and I still think he's obviously performing the best uh, that he can. But, like, it's all George. George is wiping the floor with him this year and that's like kind of nobody's talking about that in the same way that like they talk about Lando and Daniel or you know Seb and Stroll or uh, Charles and, and Carlos He's, I just I just can't but I do I am glad you brought up Mercedes because this is the last point I want to make and I know we're kind of long on time but the bouncing, porpoising thing was the outcome, the overarching theme again to this race because a lot of the teams were struggling. But there was no one more vocal, obviously, than Mercedes because 
you could see down the main straight that they were like literally getting bucked around like in a very painful looking way um and i know this isn't the first race that we've talked about porpoising or whatever but lo and behold toto after the race is all about you know form the fia needs to step in and i was talking to uh, aaron about this in the discord earlier that's absolute crap i hope the fia doesn't step in in any way um because there's teams out there like red bull like mclaren alpha to some extent alpha romeo i should say um that have zero problem with porpoising and you can't penalize the teams that figured it out for the teams that haven't. I did see a really interesting uh, proposition made by somebody on Twitter that they set a, a G limit. So G forces, uh, because apparently the really bad porpoising can be up to six G motion and you're going 200 miles an hour and it's happening every you know, less than a second. So they're getting six G's up and down uh, for, you know, two minutes at a time for each lap or whatever it was. Um, so I do think it's a concern for driver health. But what do you guys think? Do you do you want the FIA to step in? Uh, and in what way? Like, would you want to see them penalize the teams that are over a certain G limit or max them out during a lap? Or what do you what do you guys think? No, absolutely not. Like, I don't care who's complaining. Absolutely not. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. Look, if other teams have figured it out, then it's fixable. If you can't fix it, that's on you, in my opinion. It'd be different if every team on the grid was experiencing, you know, let's say a certain percentage of porpoising or whatever that is. And to me, that is just like, that's that's exactly why... I am always hesitant to be a Mercedes fan because of that kind of complaining. And it always happens with the top teams, but Mercedes have made a habit of it over the last decade where it's like, you're, you're one of the best, if not arguably one of the best teams of all time, right? You haven't changed a whole lot. Yes. The rules changed, the cars changed, but like they've changed before. And you can't figure it out. It's it's just mind blowing to me that that's even a complaint or an option in their minds. But at the same time, I also understand like the politics and the nagging and all of that kind of stuff is also a part of the sport. You know, like we famously we famously replayed all of those last last season as as the season wound down, right? Like all the complaining from you know Toto and and Christian Horner from Red Bull and all that back and forth. So. It's just going to – it is what it is, but I definitely don't think that the FIA should step in in any way. No. Agreement with Nick and Christian Horner. Get good noobs is essentially what we want to tell Mercedes. And the other thing that's interesting to Nick's point is this is Toto taking care of his drivers. He's distracting people from the topic that's at hand, which is what's going on with Lewis. Because to Todd's point earlier, he's not having the consistent season that we're seeing George have. And if this was a blind driver resume off, I would make the argument that Pierre Gasly should be the second driver at Mercedes at the expense of Lewis Hamilton if we're just treating this season 
on its own. Granted, that's not going to happen. That's too preposterous and ask even for me. But if we were looking at it from that perspective, that would make a hell of a lot more sense. And I think would be just as jaw dropping if uh, we were mentioning Pierre to Ferrari. So. And we could end with the spiciest take of all. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys. There's no absolutely no way that the FIA should step in if uh, if they want to like all the teams have the ability to tune out the porpoising by raising the right height, changing the wing balance, et cetera, et cetera. And they can all do that. But if you give a racing driver the option to be a half a second quicker per lap or be comfortable, they're going to choose speed 10 out of 10 times. So anyway. We can. Oh, also going back to an earlier part of the conversation. Seb's not that old, Nick. Seb's thirty-four. Danny Rick's thirty-two. So he gets looked at as like the wise old man of Formula One, <laughs> but he's not that old. I mean, Alonso's forty-two, I think. Forty or forty-two. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Seb. Seb could win another championship. Like, get him in a car. Somebody get him in a car that can win. Mercedes, drop Lewis for Seb. That's a spicy take. <laughs> See, Todd's so used to these spicy takes now. I just say them just to get him to look up and just shoot me a look like, what are you I, doing? I, but he, I, I, he's, I, my son was waking up, so I didn't even, didn't even get the take. Your Formula One son is also here. <laughs> just trying to get your attention, Papa. All right, let's start with the um, official F1 Slash official Discord Fantasy League. All right, for the Azerbaijan, I said it right, uh, Grand Prix. In first place, we had uh, Scott C with full send, 140 points, uh, followed very closely by Julie Wood. Shout out, Julie. Happy birthday. Uh, with 139 points. And uh, in P3, we had... Uh, Big Bobby M with the turn one spinners uh, in third place. And overall season totals, <clears throat> we have, uh, again, still in first place, Nick's brother, Alpha Ash Ari, uh, with Young Monster Young Drive. Young Monster what Drive. What? He needs to change his name to Monster Drive. Uh, with a point shy of 1,600 points, uh, followed in second uh, with. Aaron all has no breaks with 1534 and uh, P3 bringing up the rear uh, for tapping that ass Nicholas C uh, 1488 and because we always talk about ourselves in this uh, I'm P4 uh, 1467 uh, Ro is in P8 with 1340 and the speeding burritos couple of place drop this week uh we're in p p12 p- with uh point shy of 1100 but he's not in last he's place. not in last place he's a, that's a win we we already decided that's- nick said he had bad fantasy luck if he's not in last it's it's like he's p1 all right um <clears throat> in the uh voldemort league as i call it um Last race points. Wow, I'm crushing this league. I'm not even going to brag, but like I'm crushing this league. Um, I was in P1 again last week. Uh, 
<laughs> with 991, followed by Jackal with 916, and P3 Aaron with 908. Nick jumped up a couple spots to P6 with 549 points, and uh, the Fighting Ocons in P7. Oh, sorry, Nick, you're in P5, not P6. Uh, Fighting Elkons, a.k.a. Rohit, uh, with zero points. Zero points. Like I said, yep. Okay. I'll pay my league fee, remind me how much that is, but I'm here to make Nick feel better about himself. That wasn't a bet. (laughs) That wasn't the betting league. That was the the F1 official Discord league. Okay. Um, Stupid security. Yeah. So, um... (laughs) In the most important one, the Exhaust Notes official fantasy draft pod league, whatever we're going to call it. Uh, race results for Baku was uh, Aaron, rough week. Two DNFs on his team. He had a grand total of 34 points, which I think is the new season low. So, shout out, Aaron. Um... In P3, we had uh, Rohit with 49 points. and uh, P2, we had Nick with 53 points. And again, I'm on top there. This is complete luck, not bragging, with 59 points. So for season totals, we have uh, Aaron in last place. He used to be in first. I just want to call that out. He was in first for a while. Uh, with 371, followed by Nick at 379, followed by myself at 407, and Rohizi continues to dominate the league with 421. Yep, and Aaron was in fact in the lead for the first five weeks, and I've taken over for the next three, but based on how well the spotlight has shown on me in the last two weeks, I think I'll probably be in last place next week. But doesn't matter if Mercedes can somehow overcome Ferrari. <laughs> I hope you're I hope you're wrong because then I'll get food and beverage. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I fantasy formula 1 is the most bizarre thing to me because like I'm looking at the official formula 1 fantasy and Mercedes as a constructor is still the most expensive constructor available which makes no sense to me yeah that league or anyone else on the planet that league is super flawed um which is why we were testing out that second league minus the security concerns (coughs) um but it's the value is only it's set preseason obviously and then it only changes incrementally like a hundred thousand based on the percentage of ownership and because you know the 33 billion people that play it are just super fans and they don't want to like actually care about what's on their team. They're still probably obviously the most owned team and it doesn't change enough because obviously Red Bull is the best constructor this year so far. And uh, yeah. That's why we're trying to come up with alternate drafting opportunities let's say and that's why i like our league the best it seems to be the one that is the best indicator of how team and driver performance actually correlates to 
the intellect shown by the players that have chosen them. Well said. Thank you. I have my moment. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Well, anything else before we wrap? No, this is a long one. We got a yeah, lot I think out. This is, yeah. I was going to say, this has truly been an exhausting episode of the Exhaust Notes <laughs> yeah. podcast. So thank you guys for hanging in there with us because your boy's Wi-Fi shit the bed like we were talking about. And we still recorded for an hour after the fact. So kudos to you, the listener. And if any of you sat through this entire episode and you can repeat this word back to me, whether it be through social media or Discord, the word is verklempt. I will give you up to one Stanley buck whenever I see you in person next. <laughs> I uh, I'll just close out by apologizing for talking so much. I was trying to cover for Nick's shoddy voice and uh, Rohit's yeah, no shoddy Wi-Fi. There's a lot to talk about this week, though. I mean, we might have to we might have to squeeze in an extra episode because. Yeah. Friday. If we can ever Let's get it, it in, we we plan the Friday pod all the time. We will get Let's it in. do pre-race for uh, Montreal. Really excited to see that. It's been a while since we've been back. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. All right. Well, before we get out of here, let's let everybody know how you can how they can find you. Rohizi on Twitter, RoadM13 on Instagram. Uh, Teezy on Instagram and TeezyF1. On Twitter, also shout out to me again. This is just me bragging. I had the runner-up for Tweet of the Week on the WTF1 Internet's best reaction. This close. The, the Tweet of the Week gets a full video game setup thing. I was so close. So close. What, what was your tweet? Uh, <laughs> now I need to know. It was pretty early in the race. It was when George was in P4, and I did George quietly in P4 like... And I've used a Mr. Bean meme. Actually, if you want to see it, come follow me, you bastards. Come follow me on Twitter. <laughs> I make dumb jokes about F1 all the time. Perfect. And that's at T-Easy T- on Twitter? Or uh, no, T-Easy F1. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Nick, that's the title of the episode. Come follow me, you bastards. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you can follow me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms. More importantly, follow Exhaust Notes FM on all the platforms and uh, hit the link in the description to join us in the Discord to uh, continue this conversation in between our episodes. We appreciate all of you. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Follow him, you bastards. Mm-hmm.